So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark, and I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of that business, that business that is, in most cases for entrepreneurs, the best way to live their best life. And so one of the ways I help you do that is by letting you listen on these conversations about things you already know something about, but we're going to dig in and figure out some uniqueness and the details that help you unlock those secrets and kind of get past those spots you're stuck. And so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to talk with my friend Maceo Jordan, who is kind of passionate about uh, process and the impact of that. And he's got a background uh, in publishing and as, a, as an entrepreneur, you know, healthcare, uh, just a great entrepreneur in general. And so a lot of diverse background. And so let's talk about process. Maceo, how are you? How are you, man? I am. I'm good. The processes are are running strong, which funny, the, the thing that yeah. really unlocked my moving from wildly different industries was process. And I remember my, okay. my, one of my first big businesses was just beginning to scale. And of course, like most entrepreneurs, you know, I go to seminars and whatnot to figure out what's going on. And a guy on the stage was talking about process. I walked up to him after his talk and said, what the heck is a process? <laughs> And he gave me this, this, you know, this look that I recognized. And I said, you're going to tell me to go get some books, aren't you? And I just walked off. So I think he was flabbergasted, right? That somebody would actually go do that. And, you know, it's kind of self-identify and realize that that's what they needed. And so I set off on this journey to understand what process was. I got a guy to mentor me. He created two uh, businesses that were making a hundred million dollars in sales every year, meaning repeatable sales, which is a, which is something different than what most people talk about. What most when most people say, yeah, I created this business and it's got 50 million in sales, that may mean they did 50 million total sales over 30 years. That may mean they did that once, but rarely have I seen a business mm -hmm. that can re like year year in and year out produce that revenue. And so here's the difference. 99% of businesses that I've worked inside of wake up every day, what I call broke, meaning they've got to kill something and eat it every single day. And that comes in the form of, you know, usually Facebook marketing or Google marketing or something like that. And so truly, if entrepreneurs really want to create an asset, if, if entrepreneurs really want to free themselves in the sense of their business gives them freedom, you've got to start thinking in terms of processes. Otherwise, you're, you're just kidding yourself. You've got great ads or you've got maybe a good digital agency, but you don't have a business. You can't walk away. There really is no freedom. You're just simply chained to it. Okay, so what does that mean? So when, what, how did you first start cracking open process? Obviously, a better question. What the hell is what, a process? Right, so a process is a set of steps that you do in your business to get some kind of result, right? So what that means is you better understand what all the steps are in your business. Now I know entrepreneurs are sitting there on the, you know, listen to this, either mistakenly thinking, oh, I do that already, or thinking, well, that's impossible. And I assure you it's not. Right. I mean, I, I have processed out marriage, dating. I mean, it literally, it doesn't matter what you want to do. I mean, if you want to process out how to be passionate. I have a process for how to be passionate. Um, and so anything that you can think of that we are going to do as human beings, you can break down into steps so that you get a result, right? What a process does for you is number one, it makes you think about your business. It makes you think about your business and all of the different parts. And then it makes you think about, okay, how do I go from step one to step whatever, 90 in order to get the result? let's take a coffee shop. It could be walking up to the coffee machine, uh, you know, check to see if there's water, make sure that there's actually coffee somewhere around, you know, make sure you've got a filter. You know, you can, you can kind of work through this in, in everyday life. And you can also start to get really fine grained where you can get into the quality of it, right? Because with coffee, uh, some experts would say, oh, it needs to be brewed at 190 degrees Fahrenheit. Exactly. You know, some people say, oh, no, 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 it's got to start out at 165 degrees exactly and go up to 190. Right? So you can even get into things like that. What's the quality? What affects the quality? And then most importantly, 
you actually have something that you can test against mm. to look at the outcome and understand, am I getting the outcome that I want? You know, so so I, I love this. This, this worth, worthy of the snapshot. The, okay. the, the picture you painted was uh, not training. I mean, there are some things you could train, but especially it really landed mm. for me when you said, we can test the outcome. Yep. It, is, it is higher level. It is, it is understanding the significant pieces of the process that are worth measuring. Yep. And it means if you're going to do that, you're going to have to simplify it. You're going to have to get it down to something that's comprehensible. <laughs> like your brain has to be able to, from a high level, zoomed out, understand the steps. And it reminds me of the first time, and I didn't know this at the time, but looking back, the first time I understood the importance of process was when uh, a tech on my team, I ran an IT services company, and the guy said, uh, upgrading the server, the process stopped, and it deleted the database. Mm. Okay. Are you going to restore the debate? Here's the database. No, unfortunately, there's no backup of the database. Okay. To help me understand what happened here. Well, I thought the backup had run. Okay. Had it? No. <laughs> so there was a step missing in the process. <laughs> Check the backup before you run the upgrade. <laughs> and, and what's important about that is that I don't, it's not important that I teach that individual how to check the backup because mm -hmm. if he doesn't know how to check the backup and he gets to step three and the step says, check the backup, he knows it's a step and he can say, you know, can I get some help checking this backup? And we can solve for that. But if my process is either absent mm -hmm. or missing step three, he doesn't even know to ask. He doesn't mm -hmm. even know that it's a step and he <laughs> sails right through it. And yep. we have not measured a critical piece of the process and we pay the price. And that's true. Actually, what happened? That's a real case. The database was lost. They lost all their email. Oh, that's wow. end of the story. Brutal. <laughs> well, so yeah. let, let's, go, yep. let's go back to training, right? Most people, when they think about training, they're, uh, you know, fortunately, they're going to you know, go to a seminar, you know, something like that. And what I'm talking about is more fundamental like that, more fundamental than that. You've got to think in terms of methodology. So in my world, methodology is the how you do something. I think everyone would agree if you're going to grow a business, you eventually are going to be training people. Most people don't think about how they're going to do that. And what winds up happening as a result is you get this tribal thing that goes on, right? So you have silos of information. Some people know, you know, some people know how to back up the database. Some people know that there is a database. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's very much in a, in a, this little sequestered area that most people don't have access to, meaning like literally they're kept from it because, you know, people kind of do that. They get territorial or they're kept from it just by the, the nature of the work, right? They don't encounter it enough. They don't, you know, they don't go over there enough. So they think, oh, that's not my area. I don't need to worry about that. So if you have a methodology that says, well, let's take a page out of, uh, you know, my, my buddies in special forces. When you get to a special forces team, eventually you're going to be trained on every job in your 12 man team. So you've got somebody who takes care of the weapons, somebody who takes care of the explosives, somebody who handles the radio, somebody who handles the, the medic duties. Well, eventually you're going to do all of that. Well, why would you do that? Well, cause somebody might get shot. <laughs> I mean, just to put it bluntly. <laughs> Well, but in business, the equivalent of that is somebody calls in sick, you know, so you've got a big client, a big project, somebody, you know, like my car battery just died today. You know, somebody's car battery dies and they literally can't get to the thing. Well, what are you going to do? So if your methodology is that you cross train, yeah, maybe you won't do whatever you're trying to do at 100%, but it's going to be better than zero, which is what it would be had you not cross trained. So all of that said, that that's a methodology of training. How we train is everybody gets cross-trained, right? So with that methodology, you start solving for future issues, which are really the unforeseen, right? It was Donald Rumsfeld who years ago got made fun of quite a bit because he said it's the unknown unknowns that we have to mm -hmm. worry about. And of course, all the pinheads of the world are like, oh, that's so stupid. When I heard it, I was like, it exactly. So how do you yeah, train for the unknown? It's really yeah. important. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. How, so in business, what, what torpedoes a business is going to be the unknown unknown. The way you reduce the risk of unknown unknowns is you have a robust training methodology. So you have cross-training. You have written processes. 
And then in your trainings, you train to the written process so that you get the result, right? And then you have a feedback mechanism. What's the feedback mechanism? It would be during some kind of review with either a manager or you know somebody and the person who's doing the process, you just look, okay, how many times did we get the results that we wanted? You're gonna have a number. Then you look at, okay, how many times did we not get the result that we wanted? You're gonna have a number. Go into the times that you didn't get the result and then see what happened. What you're gonna find out if you, you know, kind of start like most businesses do is that you weren't tracking. Then you're gonna realize, oh, well maybe we should track like compliance, right? Did you follow all the steps? How mm -hmm. do we do that? Maybe yeah, you have a right. web form, you know what I mean? It's like you, as you, the beauty of a process is it forces you to be a good business owner, meaning you're focused on the what you're doing and how do we deliver reliable results. Not that you're trying to turn people into robots, but that you're giving people a way to express themselves and their artistry, but inside of boundaries so that you can be sure to have that end result, which by the way is what clients want. Like no client in the world wants their email database, you know, deleted, you know, just 3% of the time, right? It's just 3%. It's like, no, I want 0% of the time I lose my email database. <laughs> yeah. So that there's a lot goes into that. And so I actually want to kind of rerun through that as well. There's, there's two ways people can think about this. And one is if you're in a relatively sophisticated, already process oriented culture, say it's a healthcare organization, you've got process, right? So it, in, in what you described, let's just check, check you know, and analyze the, the critical steps and you want to minimize the choices. And, and I'm, the phrase is escaping me right now, but uh, it keeps coming up a lot about uh, it's, it's not the tyranny, but it's the, um, What's the issue when you have too many choices? It comes up. Dan Pink talks about it. Oh, yeah. It. I've, I've heard, it, I've heard people talk about, about the tyranny choice. Yeah. So I'm getting the phrasing wrong, but essentially it's if you've got 20 options, you're likely to not make any choices. Yes. If you've got two, three options, you're likely to make make a choice quickly. And so if if you're, if you walk into a process and say healthcare is a good example. So you are given mm -hmm. a patient with a situation and you you're having to figure out like what the next step is. Who should I bring into this? Well, how do I diagnose? What's the first question I ask? And you're, all your brain cycles are going to figuring out the next step and what's the next yep. step and what's the next step. If on the other hand, you are handed, here is the five-step process. We collect this information and these are the questions. You get these questions answered and then you make a diagnosis and you hand it off to one of two ways and it's left or right. And then, and once the process is simplified, all of those cycles, all that brain power that you could be using now mm -hmm. goes to what matters most and that's making the best decision in the constraints you've got and so that the essence of this is taking away all those damn variables that just are, are slowing people down and confusing people and give them back all that energy to make good decisions but i will the other end of the spectrum on this is if you're a sophisticated process-driven healthcare business that, that makes sense to you and you got to assign a tack team or, or or something or a, a, a special project to kind of figure out what's going on in triage or whatever that makes sense you just sort of assign an owner and go if you're a company who's really new to process you're imagining this training you described is two people walking to a room and material training materials and a test and a three-week course and it's like i i can't see that for you it might be 30 minutes with your sales rep to go through the five critical steps of the sales process and that might be your training yeah. And so start somewhere and simplify it down to, you know, three to seven, three to eight of, and that's your rule of thumb, by the way, the size, of, size of team, size of process, size of anything, three to three to seven, three to eight. That's a very efficient number of things that you, that a human being can manage. So think of that in terms of process. Think about like, how do we, how do we simplify this so people can remember the critical steps? Yeah, absolutely. And so the, I think the, the deepest I got into this <clears throat> was my e-learning company, and I hired a woman who um, actually did this for did process for a living, and she had worked for several public publicly traded companies. And I told her, uh, here I gave her the business, told her what we did, you know, introduced her to our stuff, and then I said, now write me all the processes that you wish your CEOs would have done. And she came back with literally a complete diagram of the company. You know, she had she interviewed the employees, figured out what the overall steps were, interviewed me. And that's really, I think, one of the best ways to do it, which, by the way, that, that's not like a subtle pitch for my you know, business. I don't do that. The funny thing about this is for everybody who thinks, oh, I'm not process oriented, what you're probably saying is in your daily life, you're not somebody that like regularly checks stuff off. It would probably, it's probably crazy for most people to think about, neither am I. I can come up with processes 
if you give me a you know a problem or a business, I can develop you a system soup to nuts in probably two hours. Like it's how my brain works. I'm very fast at it, but I'm not the guy to like oversee it or design it for somebody um, in, in the sense that she did. And so she gave us all the, you know, the diagrams and, and everything else. So this, this is also not something that you need to burden your entire team with. And so what I wound up doing was dividing all the processes up by specific roles. Right, so my graphic designer had his set of processes. Now that people might think that's a little bit crazy. Like, how can you give a designer limited choices? Well, that actually comes mm -hmm. from Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci. All the great artists in the past knew that you had to shrink your options to increase your creativity. Yeah. And so sure. if if you've got 90 different ways to draw a human hand it's probably not going to come out mm -hmm. so well. But if you've got yeah. one way, which you're is- You're stuck. You know, you're stuck drawing right. a human hand and you, you got the whole exactly. rest of the thing and you do. <laughs> you got the Sistine Chapel. It's like, come on, Michael, you've been yeah. on the hand for like three weeks. Yeah. So yeah. you can-, yeah, yeah. You can he, Michelangelo knows, based on the proportions of the human body, how to appropriately draw the thing. Because in that instance, processes are there to get a, a result. The result that he needed was that the people who commissioned him would look up at the ceiling and be able to identify people, right? They didn't need Picasso to have, you know, an ear five feet away and a shape, you know, a head that was kind of, that kind of looks like a cloud. <laughs> That's not what they wanted, right? So again, this is, it, this is very much bottom up thinking. Start with your customer. What does your customer want? How do you reliably deliver that? then break what they want into pieces. If it's a physical thing, how now we're into manufacturing process. And so all the engineers are like, yeah, amen. But then you have to also think, okay, but what about the delivery? What about the timing? What about the vendors? What about the salespeople, right? So you can begin to chunk outwards and understand, yes, as an engineer, you're delivering a physical product into somebody's hands, but somebody's got to sell that product. So then you have to think about, okay, if, if there's, what's the lead time on sales? Once you sell something and then you deliver it to the factory, what's that lead time? And so then as an engineer, you can stop only thinking about the one object that you're supposed to make and deliver. And instead think of it as part of the overall system, which is really the, the bigger piece of this is once you've broken your company down into individual processes, all the steps that you need to do to deliver your thing, what you'll have is a system, right? So business is a system of processes. Once you chunk up to that level, as an entrepreneur, that's where, in my opinion, the real meat is, particularly if you want to grow and, and build a really big business, because you'll start to think about the way your company interacts, and then you as a leader will, will then have your processes, right? Meaning you can go to somebody whose job is to you know, run manufacturing, and you're going to be able to think about manufacturing as it relates to sales, as it as it relates to your deliverables, right? You're getting crap shipped to your factory. When? Like, when do you need it? How many do you need? Yeah. And then how do you integrate the piece? It really becomes magical from the leadership standpoint at that point. So, so let's talk about the magic. So even going back to the uh, Michelangelo analogy, a lot of people I talk to in the early stages feel they have a fear that process is going to dehumanize the business. Yeah, right. And right. we see the exact opposite of that. And, and I th yes. think about like, we take away options. We need to be able to have flexibility. Well, explain, show me, show me artists whose name most people know who are historically, um, you know, significant, who were versatile to do anything. That's not it. These the artists we remember, the artists that were insp inspirational had a style. They had a mm -hmm. way, and they weren't trying to be like each other. They had their thing, and so you don't need to be able to do anything. You need need to be able to do your thing at the highest level. And to making it making it real practical, when I talk about process, I always refer to the four seasons approach, which is you must uh, systemize the predictable so you can humanize the exceptional. And mm. that is, you know, if you need to know your client's preferences for wine or not drinking, you should ask that question. And yeah. that's a process. The human aspect of that is, what's the answer? 
do how do you fulfill their preferences and if you mm -hmm. if you have it built into the process that at check-in and you've got a database and you've got a way that anybody in the hotel can look at their phone or the get the kiosk and find out this person doesn't drink or whatever the preference is that's a process that allows people to exceed beyond comprehension the um the exceptional ability for a human to really do something powerful with that. So they, they have to go together. You can be artful, creative, powerful human by simplifying the parts of the process that just don't need to be discussed. And there's a handful of them that you could really make automatic and give people back their creativity and their ability to contribute. Yeah, right. And processes don't have to be micromanaging, right? <clears throat> so in, right. in the Ritz-Carlton, they, they basically divide up all of their responsibilities to floors. Hmm. Um, so everybody that's on a particular floor, that's their zone. And basically each floor, sometimes in some hotels, some properties, individuals will have the authority to spend up to $2,000 to make something right for a customer. So the very simple process is, you know, when problem occurs, spend up to 2000 to fix it that is a process it's got yeah, you know two it. steps in it it's crystal and so clear of, absolutely yeah. and absolutely but, empowering with a lot out, of options without right? question lots of options yeah which i mean that includes running down the street going to tiffany's you know what i mean it's like as long as it's less than two grand i don't care were they happy so what's the end result the customer says i'm happy Nope. It's as yeah. simple as that with the process. Now, I, I do want to I want to give a cautionary tale. What drives me nuts about American Express is when I when I call with a problem, their people are obviously reading off of a script. So let's talk about dehumanizing. Yeah. Here's how you dehumanize in a process. Call center employee answers the phone via computer. On the computer screen is their process, i.e. a script. That person then reads, oh, I'm sorry, Maceo, that you are having this problem. We will endeavor to fix it today, <laughs> which is how they basically sound. I mean, because, mm -hmm. you know, these people are, they're, they're not native English speakers, probably, uh, you know, so sometimes they get the inflections wrong, but there's a lot that goes into that, you know, using, using uh, other cultures, especially when you're talking about scripting. But the main dehumanizing thing is, as the customer, I could care less if you're you know, a Filipino, you're in India, I don't care. What I care about is that you really care that I've got a problem. And when I hear you reading a script and every time I call in, it's the same script, I know that this person who's talking to me doesn't really care. And in fact, sometimes I'll even say that to them. You know, I'll say, well, I know you don't really care, but here's my problem. And on occasion, the other person on the other line will kind of laugh, right? Because they know that they're just reading a script. So that is exactly what most people think about when they think about process. That, yes, that's a process. Yes, the, a script is a process. And that's process done badly in a really big organization. Yeah. So even at Amex, you know, I don't know how many billions they've got in the bank, but they still do it wrong. But here's why they do it wrong. They do it wrong because the management never calls in with an actual problem, right? So if, I, if I'm in an emotional state where I'm upset, what I want you to do is to authentically empathize with me if you're going to go there at all, right? So that in, in English or so to a native English speaker, it'd be something like, oh man, Maceo, that's, that's horrible, right? And so what's happening yeah. is that the person who is saying that is actually picturing an experience mm -hmm. that they had, yeah. right? So like I said, yeah. I could process anything. So if you want the process for empathy, when someone comes to you with a problem, then on the step one on your person's sheet should be, think of a time when you had a similar problem. Pause. Now, read this. It, I'm telling you, just that simple yeah, thing will change powerful. everything. Because I've gotten those calls, or I've, I've made those uh, calls, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Leary. I'm sorry to hear that you are suffering through such this difficult <laughs> situation. It sounds very horrible for you. Right. Please hold. <laughs> what <laughs> exactly that's right very close to that. exactly right it's just this and I, you know I, I know the person on the other end of the phone doesn't want to be that way but so anyway like i said i can process anything out it, it because it, it is possible right as humans 
we we live our life in in discrete steps right we go from one thing to the next and so what we're really what we're tapping into is something that we do automatically but the example that i gave is a way to really unlock thinking about process yeah for sure and then also understanding how to train for process right yeah so, so the training, the example, and I was when I t- talk to people about process, I try to make the distinction between uh, work instructions and process, and and even procedure for that matter. And so, in mm. I've I've loosely copied that what I believe are somewhat standardized definitions of the, of those two. And processes, as you're describing, sort of these checkpoints. Procedures are sort of like you know, there's there's a few bullets, there's a kind of a, there's a way this is done, there's a sequence of each of the steps. And work instructions is really down to like this is where you enter their name and type their name here and this is the website you go to and and that's important for training when you're ready for it mm-hmm. and it sounds kind of like you know in those call center situations they've gave it given them some work instructions that we don't particularly like right. and so <laughs> and so and i think and i would like them to improve that but we're talking to entrepreneurial companies now who have the ability to avoid that pitfall and they probably don't have the level of scale that's going to require them to prescribe work instructions of that detail and they're going to get a lot of bang for the buck out of process which is you know here's the step here's when you find out you know you empathize with them you know reflect mm-hmm. back to them what you've heard and that's the end of the details right because if right. you say like reflect back to them what you think you've heard in your own words like most people if they're you know in in this in the same culture as the as the caller they're going to be able to figure something out about that right and and so what what is going back to the concept of what is process i kind of listened to you describe you know there's some when people are thinking they don't really follow process in their, in their life. And I, and they're not process oriented people. I'll argue everybody is whether they know it or not. And I started, I, maybe I just sort of challenged myself to figure out why that would be the case. And here's what I came up with that. We're all ha- creatures of habit. The data yes. are in, we are all creatures of right. habit <laughs> and habits happen in sequence. Our thoughts happen in sequence. When something happens, mm-hmm. when somebody cuts us off in traffic, we automatically think they're bad drivers and we automatically <laughs> do something. And that's kind of out of our control as much as we like to think that we can, that we're, we're, we're really conscious in those moments the odds are really high we're not we're we're (laughs) suffering from consequences of all of our past history so a habit is something if you want to develop yourself you've got to sort of figure out what habits are better for you and if you want to study habits i'm happy to talk about that and it's a phenomenal subject but to me the, the light went on with a process is a habit for your organization that is intentionally built to provide a very specific outcome and so if you want things to automatically get that specific outcome, design the habit, make it simple, make the sequence of events very predictable, and you have the opportunity to intervene and tell people what is step two look like when we typically get the best results and make it possible that success is no longer an accident and mm-hmm. give people back the best fighting chance of having a great outcome. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give a process for lessening your road rage mm. so All right. was, in fact just yesterday i was driving get my daughter from daycare and here's what drives me nuts people that are in double turn lanes right so there are two lanes that can turn right and so people that are in like the rightmost lane so you imagine it you know, you've got two lanes one on one on the left one on the right you turn and then the people on the right want to cross like four lanes of traffic my thinking is Dude, just get in the friggin' left lane, right? Then you're not like jamming in between everybody. That's a, th- that is the way to get Maceo into road rage. <laughs> Which of course, I'm, like I'm judging everybody else, right? They they I should can imagine. They should, I can. They should do it like I do. I'm it. not having. I'm not having any trouble imagining you in road rage, Chase. Uh, that's not. That's not a problem <laughs> for me to imagine. It's not a stretch. So here's how I break through that. When somebody is cutting over and you, know, they're, they're wanting basically. You know, as part of it is I don't like being controlled. And so somebody is now forcing me to put on my brakes. I didn't want to put on my brakes in that moment, man. Yeah. So what I do is, like I said, with the, the rep imagining a certain situation, what I'll do is imagine a time where I was that person. You know, I was late for something. I was rushing. Um, you know, I had an emergency. And so it's, and what's amazing about this is as soon as I do that, all of that angst and anger just disappears. Well, why? Well, because I've just empathized with where that person may be. I mean, that, in fact, that, that turn actually, you, most people are trying to go into a hospital, right? So, 
this is the level of, of my ignorance towards other people's plights. They're probably going there because like someone's on their deathbed. You know what I mean? Right, and I'm right. like, I don't care. Get in the left lane, dude. <laughs> Plan better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plan better when you're going to somebody's, you know, death throes. My goodness. <laughs> you need better process. So anyway, that's how blind <laughs> I can be personally. Yeah. But so the, once, once I get into that situation and I go through that process or that habit, you know, I've, I now release it. Well, what's, what's amazing about that is I've started to do it earlier in my drive. Right. And so I, I tend to drive fast, which you can probably imagine. Um, and so my habit now is as I'm getting on the freeway, you know, maybe doing a little bit over the speed limit, just a couple of miles, you know, no, nothing excessive, of course. I start thinking, I start prepping myself, right? So I start thinking about those other kinds of situations, meaning, you know, the times that I was able to think about somebody else's uh, situation when they were trying to quote unquote cut me off. And so again, when we're talking about, you know, process is a habit for a business, you know, you can also think the reverse, right? A habit is, is a process for a person. And so what my point in this is you can harness the power of this kind of thinking for quite literally every aspect of your life, right? So if you're a typical guy, you're going to get off of work, you're not going to take any time to decompress. So you're literally walking in, carrying whatever else, you know, you had with you. And so you may not show up as the best possible version of yourself, is the way we like to say it today, to your kids, <laughs> your spouse, right? Yeah, not well, the best possible not version of yourself. Right. That's an understatement for sure, yeah. You can access the same thing in that moment with, with a similar process. So it could be, you know, whatever your pet peeve is. Like maybe you, you want to come in, you just want to sit down or you want to do something. And somebody interrupts that. If you, especially if it's your kids, if you access some of your memories, like, and you don't need to go to painful memories, but if you access some of your memories, like when you were excited uh, for your mom or your dad to come home, like that feeling that you, if you access that in that moment, let me tell you what, you are going to be a completely different person, it, like in an instant. And so getting into that, pro, into that process, that habit, you don't need like you don't need a ton of prep you don't need you know 57 years of therapy you can literally do this in that moment but then of course the the, the process would be you know when family member comes up excited access you know memory of being excited when you were a kid your body and your brain is immediately going to feed you that information so what's that information the feeling the joy you know the wonder the excitement the the togetherness all the things that we talk about that you know breed intimacy and, and breed good marriages and good families so the the beauty of processes is, is uh, rather than being constrained it, think if you think about it in in the in terms that i just described the process is actually what unlocks all of that freedom and all of that creativity so I think too often as entrepreneurs, you know, we we tend to think that we've got our business over in one corner and we've got our family in another corner, we've got our friends somewhere else. I'm saying no, humans are humans wherever you are. And so if you if you can perform in your business, you can take the skills that you're learning over there and apply them directly in your family. You can apply them with your friends and your sports teams. And overall, not only is your performance going to be better, but your your relationship, relationships are going to be better and you are going to become a better leader in your environment. It's, it's just, obviously this is a big deal for me, but I mean, yeah, this, no, this is, is a truly magical thing. No, I love it. And it, it is, some light bulbs are going off for me because I've said so many times that this is the way to humanize the process. But what I realized I've stopped short of is that if you've never done it, you don't know what the process steps right. could really look like. And one of the things that you're highlighting brilliantly is that you get to choose what the step is. Right. And it, you can choose a very intentionally humanizing step if that's what you need, or you can do something very procedural if that's what's appropriate as well. Yep. I mean, you can triage and you can improve and you can unapprove and you can do things that need to be happen in a decision, decisive. Does it hit the, hit the metrics? If we're going to approve a mm -hmm. loan, does it need to hit some metrics and there's no human component that, that that might be part of the process, or you right. might really put a human part of the process. Because you, if you really need creativity, you can put the step that says ideate. 
you can you can yep. say get in a room with three other creative people for one half hour and dis- and and brainstorm ways to solve the problem. If you're in a design yep. firm, you have a crystal you have a, cl- a pr- you need a clear process to get somebody a proposal on time with a price that makes sense. You have mm-hmm. no you have no choice about having a process, and so of course, in, intuitively saying it now, you, one of your steps in the process would be. Get creative. And maybe you got to say between one day and three weeks, it's going to take us to create the creativity, but, but you, right. and, but you size that and make sure that that generally needs to happen at step two. And after step two goes to step three, someone has to go and price it. Yeah, you got to price it. So what you decide what's in the recipe. This is about understanding that, especially if there's a human process, especially or human element that needs to be mm-hmm. in there, you need to make sure it's always there and make sure yep. that if it's a critical ingredient, it never gets stepped or it never gets skipped over and it's uh, and it's protected especially if it's something that is judgment related like that so i, I love what you're doing with that yeah and, it, and you probably wouldn't be shocked i've actually got a process for creativity too <laughs> which which here's what's funny All about right. that it drives creative people nuts but it, it drives them nuts because a certain portion of what they want is to mystify their creativity and what they believe is that if you if you make it mundane, that it somehow takes away from from there being a quote unquote creative. Now that's a, a really esoteric you know thing. It's it's very tribal. Um, again, it's how human beings are. So I get why creatives don't like me talking about it. Um, but Edward de Bono is the the author's name. He's got a wealth of books on this. So I won't. I won't pretend to be the expert that he is. I was actually trained in some of his techniques really young. One of the easiest and best is called the thinking hats, which is literally a process for creativity. Mm. He uses different colors for the hats. So is it seven hats? Is it seven hats? It's, it, it could be. Nine hats? Is it, it's a yeah, lot. It's, <laughs> I, I cut it down, right? I use about three of, okay. of the hats. <laughs> okay. Just because it's like, okay, you don't need, and he even says it in his book. He's like, let me give you a complete system. You can you know pick and choose what you want. Uh, so I'll use the, the thinking hats as a concept. Uh, another way to think about it is lateral thinking. If you really want to make it simple, here's all you have to do. Because bra- I hate brainstorming. I'll just say that up front. Because not everybody deserves to have an opinion. In brainstorming, though, <laughs> all right, I love it. if you have people who are qualified to have an opinion, what you do is get them to come up with the craziest idea first. Doesn't matter if it's going to work. So the reason why you want to start with people who have, you know have the experience to have an opinion is you're going to get you're going to get crazy ideas, but crazy ideas that actually might work. Whereas with inexperienced people, it's yeah. like you get a lot of stuff that's just like okay, that that's never going to work. Like it, it, no matter what we do, it's never going to work. So. Well, and actually, I think it's a packaging thing. Sometimes the expertise is knowing how to tie it down. So it, the experience is like my idea is no more or less crazy than the inexperienced inexperienced person. But when the inexperienced person describes it, it, it has it's like it's not packaged digestible. The experienced person can say, and here's kind of why this could work. And so that that that's don't underestimate the importance of the believability. Could be. I'm not. I'm not sold. <laughs> All right. Again, I. I am. I'm not. Well, I, I am not my, pers- my personal experience is. I'll tell you. My personal experience. I've dismissed a lot of ideas from people who package their ideas, and I'm like, you're not right. That couldn't be possible. You don't have the credibility to do that. Only to find out that I was wrong. Mm. And so what I what I learned in that uh, those people who really have the experience. Um, <laughs> They have a better vernacular. They have a, a better way of describing things, and they can bring more nuance. And maybe that's just my personality. I I have a complexity bias, and so what I do a lot is help people simplify because I I have the complexity disease. I can see all the neat nuance and details, and and science and technology and, and and sophisticated complex businesses have a lot of details. And so a powerful discipline is, is to simplify that. So mm-hmm. if I'm in a complex mindset and somebody brings me a simple solution, I'm like, you're out of touch. So a really experienced creative person in that space can bring with it the credible details that allow me to say like, all right, this is this is in a context that's relevant. You're not completely clueless to what we're trying to do here. I don't see it quite landing yet, but but you've at least earned more airtime for me. And then and then we can go from there. But the person who shows up with no contextual nuance, I'm I'm not listening to. I'm not good at that. And that's a weakness of me. Yeah. Well, the lesson there is don't invite Maceo to your brainstorming sessions. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, 
And again, to the, the simplest process for creativity is start with the craziest ideas first. And this actually is from uh, one of De Bono's books called Lateral Thinking. Right, so what he, what he does in the lateral thinking book is unpack, like what is creativity? Can we really understand it? And obviously you're gonna get people from all camps. Uh, De Bono's position and obviously mine is, well, you know, for the most part, like 80% of creativity is going to be in lateral thinking. You know, how can you run something out to some extreme? How can you go to some, some crazy level and then from there come backwards? Um, what you wind up doing is you, you you have a simple process for thinking outside the box, right? The problem with saying that, you know, and these seminar cliches just drive me nuts. It, it sounds great from the stage, right? Oh, just think, think outside the box. That's not how human beings are. Like our, we are designed to be in boxes because the world is sharp, it has teeth, and you can fall and kill yourself. And so you don't want to think outside the box in a world like that. You want to be very much boxed in because that's how you stay alive. So we, we have to be very deliberate about thinking outside the box, but that doesn't mean that it's super complex. Just go, go with something, go as far afield as you can. I, I tend to do something that's really silly first because I think humor unlocks a lot of creativity as well. Um, so that's where like it's it's counterintuitive where if i'm in a brainstorming session i'm gonna when i start i'm gonna start throwing out like really stupid and silly stuff so you might say well maseo doesn't that mean you're not qualified you know aren't you giving stuff that's not going to work it's like well yes for a specific purpose so again the rule here is don't invite maseo to your brainstorming session but start with lateral thinking because that's edward de bono's idea not my idea Well, it's, I, I've I've seen methodology around innovation that is based on the idea of start with the opposite of what you think works, and and what you find is when you, you literally reverse it, you say like mm-hmm. you know people want to have fresh food delivered quickly, and okay, well people want uh, non unfresh food delivered slowly. Like what is that? <laughs> right. uh, well, maybe somebody wants a frozen meal scheduled weeks in advance for some reason. Oh my God, nobody's doing that. Like what is the utility of that? And that's so, a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, that's, that's the idea of, of really getting outside the box intentionally yes. to create some, to create some, new context and maybe possibly what they call remote associations. I mean, these idea of like linear thinking of what we're trying to do is adjacent thinking. We're trying to improve a little bit and what's kind of in the ballpark and step one, step two, step three, maybe we can add a step 2.5. You know, that's really mm-hmm. linear thinking. Remote associations. What's, what is the relationship between uh, you know, the price of Bitcoin and, and our, you know, healthcare? Like, I have no idea. Like, suddenly oh there is actually something there and and right remote associations are those light bulb powerful moments that most of which are useless but occasionally they're life-changing yeah don't, don't get me started on quantum entanglement and and all of that as well <laughs> but i mean there so the, well, there's a topic to topic for another day so yeah hold on to that you know right there we might do that another day for sure so you know actually we're, we're getting on on time here so we covered quite a lot um what have we missed what, what else do you want to make sure we get into this conversation because i've actually got some notes that i think i would would bring up in future conversations and, and might exceed our time right now well i mean there, there's obviously a lot to unpack but i think out of everything you want to start simple right so to cap this all off yeah. you don't don't start off with these really complicated systems or even think that you need complicated systems it, it's literally sitting down with someone here here's the test that that scott gave me when he was training me in this he said you go through the process first write down all the steps and then sit down with someone that's never seen it before and just hand them the steps resist the urge to give them any coaching or any help and then see what they come back to you with so if you if you want a simple process for testing your process it's that so step one you go through all the steps necessary to get the result write those steps down at some point, either while you're doing it or after or whatever, hand those steps to somebody who's never seen it, never done it. Don't coach them and just wait to see what they give you. Yeah. And Scott said, look, if, if they give you something that's about 80% of you know what you could do, being the person that knows it, then he said, you're done. Like, don't <laughs> tweak it, don't try and, because the juice that you get out of the remaining 20% isn't enough to justify the effort. Because remember, processes are there so that you get freedom, 
right? The last thing you want to do is to start getting chained down and yeah. become a slave to your process. Oh, I love and, that. Actually, that's a big light bulb for me too. Because mm, I talk good. about the 2080. It's, you know, 20% of the process is drive 80% of the value. So let's yep. start there. If you go 100, 100, you're never going to finish. But <laughs> right. I think you're exactly right with the uh, perfectionist thinking. Like you, you're actually not just going to be inefficient with your time. You're going to start taking out valuable autonomy. Yep. You actually want people to have to figure that last 20% out. That's their magic. Right. Yep, absolutely. And that's where you get something improved. There might be some step that, you know, you brushed over that actually works better for somebody else. But it's also, some of it's also in the quality of the result, right? So 80, what the 80% means is, did they get 80% of, you know, whatever your 100% is? Uh, you know, so if, if there's an actual rating system, you know, obviously that would be like a four star instead of a five star, right? So yeah. what this, but what it forces you to do is to have some kind of, measurable thing at the end. So what would 100% be? And then, you know, if you don't really know how to get to 80%, look, just pick it, right? Pick something that would be about 80%. So it's like, again, you yeah. don't, don't try and, well, you don't said another try and get it thing. exactly right. And it, it, I mean, you said, I think better what I was trying to say. It's your 100%. Give them 80% of you and let them add their 20%. So it's now their 100%. And that's how you personalize, humanize, empower, and really build something that is scalable and real. Yep. And that comes down to scripting, you know, especially sales scripts, because salespeople hate scripts. Um, You know, so you you definitely don't want to get 100% there. Um, But even if you're talking (laughs) about, like, let's, I'll I'll leave people, hopefully, with a, a simple example. Let's look at Starbucks. So, in, in Starbucks, you may not process out making coffee all the way to the point where, you know, you, you write somebody's name on the cup and you put a little smiley face. But le- so let's say you left that out. Well, what that leaves then is an employee can do that. You know, they can write the name and they can put a smiley face or a flower mm-hmm. or whatever they want. So it's, that would be a version of 80-20. So you could say, well, my 100% is mm-hmm. they better have a sticker and a flower and a smiley face. And if you don't have that, that's not 100%. Well, it's like, dude, you want stickers and flowers and smiley faces. Maybe Shireen and John don't. Maybe John wants to put a little army guy in a, you know, shooting somebody. I mean, that might be a little bit hostile for Starbucks, but you get the point. How many, how many pieces of flair? How many pieces of flair <laughs> is enough flair? If, if you see right. office space, right? <laughs> you know, if you prescribe the number of pieces of flair, <laughs> then it's not human yeah. anymore. Exactly. Crusted with this, like you can't even hold on to it. Uh, yeah. So then, of course, if I were brainstorming, that'd be like, we have to put like 5,000, you know, little sticky beads on this cup of coffee. I want them to have to hold it with two hands, you know, as they carry it away. We want massive bling. Anyway, that and I think lastly would be to have fun with it. You know, the uh, the lateral thinking, especially like if as you're thinking about these processes, the main idea, you know, is to introduce some fun, some levity. Uh, you know, as as crazy as I may sound sometimes, you know, humor, having fun is you know really a, a big part of thinking creatively, and also being open to possibility. You know, so we're talking about entrepreneurship, right? I mean, if anything encapsulates possibility, it's entrepreneurship. The way you are, if you want to process that out, is come to work, come to situations with more humor and levity, and you're going to find yourself more creative. You're going to find yourself, you know, falling into more opportunity and possibility. Again, it's process is magical. (laughs) You're exactly right. And your version of fun, your version of levity is is for you to decide. Your culture has some stuff that's rewarding to it. Build it in. You know, sometimes creation of process is a little bit of a grind. I mean, sometimes workshopping a process is is slow, unfun process, but your commitment to that process should be make sure that what we end up with rewards the people who use it. And and fun is absolutely an entitlement. If you want more quality, more consistency, lower cost, more profit, and more fun Mm -hmm. uh, for your team because you need people to enjoy the, the work. Man, great stuff. We've covered a ton of stuff. What is your, truly, I love it. Um, what is your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? Wow, a passionate plea. Do you, can you muster some passion? Can you, can you dig down <laughs> and find some passion for me? You know, my, my passionate plea would be to in, integrate, integrate more impact on the world into your thinking. Entrepreneurs think way too small. 
Um, you know, that could be you know, getting kids into your business. It could be conservation. It could be ecology. But it, entrepreneurs think so much on their business, we forget how wide our impact can go. And entrepreneurs, you know, we, we also see problems everywhere. Uh, so the last thing would be, when you find yourself complaining about something more than two or three times, start with looking in the mirror. Think about how you, not that you're going to solve the whole thing because we're not, you know, Dr. Doom and we can't just take over the world as much as I would like to. Yeah, I believe that. But, but we can start with responsibility. Like, what can I do to do that? So I'll give you a real weird, real weird one. Good, good. I wear, I wear my socks and my blue jeans for like basically a week. Why would I do that? Yeah, because why we're would a, you do that? We're in a friggin' drought in Arizona, man. Uh, like our, if you look at Lake Powell, one of the biggest reservoirs of water in Arizona, it's at levels like we have literally haven't physically seen in 150 years. Yeah. Well, so I can talk about that and, and complain about that and say, oh, well, California's taking our water and those dang hippies, whatever. But if I'm also, you know, like washing my clothes five times a week, if I've got my grass getting watered every day because I like the way my lawn looks, if I'm not doing something about that, then I'm the one that's contributing to it. And so that, that kind of thinking, if you bring that into your business in the sense of what can you do to change the world, I don't care how small your business is or how, how small you think your business is, you have no yeah. idea the impact that you can have. And so stop thinking of yourself so lightly. Entrepreneurs are quite literally how this country was built. Contrary to what Obama said, the government is not why we are where we are. We are here as the greatest country on the face of the planet because entrepreneurs were innovating. They were doing the, you know, the plumbing and the electricity, just like, you know, they were also doing the trains and, you know, building bridges all the way from the big to the small. It's that entrepreneurship that creates jobs, it's entrepreneurships that create opportunity, it's entrepreneurship that gives people the ability to lift themselves out of the muck and the mire. I mean, what we do is absolutely revolutionary. So I would, I would implore you to start thinking of yourself in that way, but in a way then that your obligation is to have a bigger impact on the world because you are one of these people that can't be an entrepreneur. It's like you're a freaking superhero. Start acting like it. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Man, <laughs> lead, lead like it matters because guess what it does? It, it does. Awesome it does. stuff. Uh, so, uh, man, if somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, find out what you're doing, keep up with you, how, how, what's the easiest way to, to, keep, to find you? Well, when we'll have some details in the show notes, but uh, what's yep. the simplest way to, to find you? MaseoJordan.com. Uh, you can get in touch with me. I actually spent some money to make it look a little bit better than the awful website it was. Uh, and if somebody wants to connect with me, <laughs> nice. you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm actually on there a little bit. Uh, that's at MaseoJordan.com. And then finally, Connexia.com. You know, that's our, that's our healthcare company that we're currently raising money for. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, look, that's our time for today. Um, we will see you next time. This is, uh, don't forget, of course, if this was um, useful to you, valuable, share it with friends, share it with people who think you get some value out of this because if this is useful uh, and it's the people who could use it aren't in possession of it, it's no good. We got to share the information. So do that. And of course, provide some feedback, good and bad. We love to hear everything. It helps us be better. Mm. Uh, it feeds our ego when you say something nice and it helps us improve the content and quality when you tell us something real about uh, what, you, what you don't like as well. So that's it for today. And we'll keep this rolling and see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.com.